You guys, I can't wait for you to hear this episode with my mentor, Chris Harder, who is an absolute expert when it comes to launching business and brands and curating the perfect masterminds and a heart of gold and philanthropist. He and his wife have scaled multiple seven-figure businesses. And in this episode, you are going to learn a little bit about his own burnout experience in corporate and his journey from corporate to building of an empire with his wife all the way to what he's doing today with business partnerships that are going to blow your mind with the disruptor of what he's doing in the industry of really the loaning space for small business owners. And you're going to get some investing advice as well. I hope you guys enjoy this episode as much as I did and hope that you just get a little glimpse of the impact that Chris is making in this world. And with that, enjoy. Need some effective tactical advice that actually helps you get results and makes a real difference in your life and business? You've come to the right place. If you're finding yourself here today, it means you're getting ready to gain serious traction in your business, rapidly multiply your income and impact, and you're ready to make it happen while living all out. Guys, I'm Melissa Henault, your trustworthy corporate dropout turned six-figure business burnout turned happy and healthy CEO of a multi-million dollar online business. And you're listening to the Burnout to All Out podcast. On this show, we're serving up innovative growth strategies, simple implementation methods to put them into practice, and action-stimulating inspiration tailored specifically for the modern entrepreneur. Let's dive in. And we are long with Chris Harder, the man. Chris, so excited to have you here today. My dear mentor and entrepreneur extraordinaire, thanks for making time for this podcast episode on Burnout to All Out. Melissa, I wouldn't miss it. I think the absolute world of you and everything that you're doing. So this is a privilege being on your show. Oh, well, you've been a huge part of it over the past year, for sure. You've impacted my life in so many ways. I'm so excited to kind of unpack your story and your journey. I mean, one of the reasons I invested in your mastermind last year and again this year, but what attracted me to you was the journey you took that really inspired me that it was possible for me to do the same. Before we get started, let's give my audience, I'm going to give them kind of the formal bio of Chris Harder in case you guys don't know this megastar. He's an entrepreneur. He's an investor. He's an avid philanthropist and a podcaster, which I followed you for quite some time before uh, jumping in. After an 11-year career history as an executive and partner in the banking industry, he retired from banking in 2011. We're going to talk a little bit about that and decided to partner with his life, his wife, Lori, to start and scale four different multi-million dollar businesses along with investing in 13 other successful startups. Chris doesn't have to work anymore, <laughs> but he does. And he's got a huge heart. As a matter of fact, he founded uh, the Elite Entrepreneur Mastermind, which I'm a part of today. I'm so glad that you still hold that near and dear, even though there's not a day you have to work anymore. You pour your hearts into us in that program, helping seven and eight figure business owners scale their businesses through carefully curated collaboration. And most recently, Chris and his business partner, Matt, are about to launch a peer-to-peer -peer lending app. I can't wait to get into that. That will positively change the way we lend 
and borrow money. He's obviously been featured in Forbes, Entrepreneur Magazine, MSNBC, CNBC, all the things. And he's got the Chris Harder Show. You guys, after you hear him today, if you've not met him, got to go to his podcast and download it. He's had over 7 million downloads. So we're so excited to have you here, Chris. Let's just get back to the backstory. Let's just like plop you down right in the middle or at the tail end of that 11-year career history in the banking industry where there was must have been a pivotal moment. You were wildly successful. What was the pivotal moment that maybe, maybe you should veer in this direction? What was the pivotal moment there? Well, it was a force-placed moment. It's so funny because I had great titles when I was in banking. And, you know, then I, I went on to own part of a mortgage bank and sell that to my partner in the whole nine yards. But it wasn't as elegant and it wasn't as financially successful as it all sounds like because I didn't take care of our money back then. I was in my late 20s and I was arrogant and ignorant and, and I would joke that I'm already spending next year's bonus and just aim at life from an entirely wrong approach, one of ego and, and all that stuff. And Sometimes that's a rite of passage that you have to go through. Well, between the mortgage bank and being in banking at the time as the world's largest bank, the recession hit. And because we were living beyond our means, I spent a year flying around, laying off people one by one by one. And it was probably almost just over a thousand people that entire year that I laid off. And then it became my turn, right? I remember going into my boss's office and he and his boss said, listen, we've got two options for you. You can have a demotion of a demotion and a demotion of a demotion and run this branch in, in Jersey and wait it out. Or you can take a severance package. I said, give me the severance. And they looked at me and they said, well, don't you want to go home and talk to your wife? I said, nope, give me the severance. Because I was so burnt out and the reward was gone and just everything about life was no longer fun. Mm. Now, talk about like a rock bottom moment. I'll give you a real example. When this happened, I had to come home, tell my, my wife, like, hey, babe, it was my turn because she knew about the recession. She knew what I was doing that past year. So we had an idea my turn would come up. And she's like, I'm like, hey, babe, it was my turn. You know, took a severance. But here's the bad news. We've been living way beyond our means. And we have to sell this house that we just finished building, like this great big house. We have to get rid of all the cars except for one of them that was so far upside down that it didn't make sense to get rid of it. We had to put our furniture that we had just had, you know, made or purchased for that house on Craigslist. And we had to have people, you know, pull up in front of the house from Craigslist ads and walk into our front door and bargain for the couch and bargain for the TV and bargain for the table and, and walk out with our items, leaving just a little bit of cash behind. So when I say it was a, a forced pivot, it was literally a forced pivot. And we went on to take that money from just liquidating everything and prepaying one year of a lease on a tiny little condo in, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Mm. And it was in that year that we figured out, hey, we want to show up differently. We want to manage money differently. And we want to add value differently to the world. Mm. And so I went on to take that partnership in the mortgage bank at that point, not because it was my passion, but because I was just so stripped of any options and identity. It was really the only good option in front of me. And this is when my wife, Lori, decided, you know what? I need to dip my toes into the fitness world and, and start building a career of, of her own because she hadn't built anything up to that point. So I was always moving her around for a promotion once or twice every single year. Wow. That year, Melissa, I'll never try and convince somebody that it felt good. It felt horrible. It felt humiliating. 
but it was also the best thing to ever happen. Because when you're, when you're stripped of everything, identity and physically everything, you get to choose again. And you get to choose like a new long-term direction. You get to choose how you want to show up. You get to choose all these choices that most people, when they're just caught up in the momentum of, of having a job because they have to stay there, they don't get to make those choices. So it was the weirdest blessing ever at that point. That's incredible. It's disruption, right? My uncle always says, never let a disaster go to waste, right? Like, yeah, so interesting. So interesting. And it's many times that the darkest hour is right before the light, right? So interesting. Okay. So it was a forced move. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you're now, you know, own multiple, multiple businesses. You're an investor. You're wildly successful. You're mentoring people like me. Talk to me a little bit about your journey. I mean, this is a question I I love to ask for people who are in business with a spouse and family, right? So what was that like coming out of you kind of doing your thing, Lori doing her thing, and then being like that first joint venture? I know you guys have incredible brands and you operate, you know, separate businesses now, but what was it like in the infancy stages of doing business together? I'll tell you a story. So, you know, if you remember that timeline, recession, had to leave the bank, take this mortgage bank startup partnership. And that was when Lori started her fitness career. So for about three years, I was at the mortgage bank. And as that thing grew, my partner and I realized the things that made uh, us have complementary skills, like he was good at A, I was good at B, he was good at one, I was good at two. The things that were complementary and opposite skills, unfortunately, were also very opposite styles of leadership. And the relationship became very toxic as it pulled. You know, I wanted to go one way and he wanted to go the other way. So I, I sold out, I sold my shares to him and I came home to help Lori grow her brand. Mm-hmm. Now, at this point, Lori's brand is maybe two, two and a half through almost three years into having momentum and, and building what she wants to build. And I came home thinking, babe, this is going to be great. Like, I'm going to take all my experience from corporate America and everything that I've done, and I'm going to do all the parts that you don't like. And, you know, it's going to work out awesome. It couldn't have been further from the truth because I came in like a bull in a china shop. And I came in with super direct masculine communication skills, right? Because that's what I was used to. And that's just not how she operates. And it came to a head again and again. And we would just have these knockdown, drag out arguments mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. I would, even if what I was saying to her was right, I would say it in the wrong way. Right. And when this came to a head, you know, as Lori tells the story, she's like, I'm not even sure we're going to stay married, much less business partners. And we knew something had to change. So we sat down. We said, clearly, everything you say triggers me and everything I say triggers you. But we want this to work, right? That was the common thread. We wanted it to work. So we said, how do we fix communication? And we broke it down so to a juvenile point, Melissa, where we would take examples of when we would get triggered and and it would turn into fights. And I'd say, how do you want me to bring this up? And when do you want me to bring this up? And then tell me exactly how you want me to say it when I bring it up. And then I would also share some of those things with her. And then we'd role play it. I'm not kidding. This was one meeting. This was multiple meetings of caring enough to make this work that we would role play out when I have to address this. How should it sound and what should I say? And it was that effort at mastering communication together that changed everything. I think that's when we caught 
inspire. That's when we caught momentum. That's when the opposite skill sets actually did work because now we could communicate about them. Mm-hmm. And had we not sat and taken communication to that level, who knows where we would be today? Wow. That's, I mean, that's a testament to like assessing and addressing it head on and, you know, coming together and coming up with a plan and how you're going to move forward together. I'm curious before we move forward, if we could step back a minute, because I think this will be really helpful for some people. You were, you know, for it sounds like two to three years, you were in corporate while Lori was building her brand and she was the entrepreneur at home, right? And I think a lot of people experience that. I know I'm in a household where, you know, I've got this big vision, I'm doing all these things. And my husband's like, you know, go, baby, go. But he like hasn't really been in my shoes, right? Now that you've seen both sides, do you have any advice out there for listeners that are in a household on either side? Like if you're a spouse in a household where there's an entrepreneur, how do you support the entrepreneur when you're, you know, you're the nine to fiver because you've been in that space, right? Like what works from that perspective? I've got a couple great answers to this. You know, there was a time when Lori was starting out in her business and I would tell her I supported her, but then I would complain every time she had to make a big investment. And this would happen again and again and again. And finally, she sat me down and she said, listen, you tell me you want me to do this, but then all you do is complain when I have to spend money on this or complain when I have to spend money on that. Mm -hmm. And she said, I understand why we're starting over financially. But you either have to be all in on me succeeding or we're not going to do this at all. Which is it? And I could tell this was a true fork in the road. Like this was a true ultimatum. In fact, some of our best moments in life have been when when Lori gives me an ultimatum. (laughs) And I knew I wanted her to succeed. There was no doubt. I didn't have to think about for a second. Right. It was that moment of committing to supporting my partner and their Mm -hmm. business and their dreams. Not saying I do, not you know, kind of showing support when it's easy, but also when it's difficult. And I think this is where people go wrong. This is where the friction shows up. I believe that everybody wants to support each other in, in their relationships. Mm-hmm. But when you're only supporting them during the easy stuff and not during the tough stuff, it's going to cause problems. And that's not actually support at all. They don't need your support during the easy stuff. They don't need high fives. Right. They need you to help them navigate the tough things. Yes. And that's when you need to show up. So that's the first answer. Here's the second answer that I wanted to share. You need to sit down and ask your partner what their grand vision is. What is the end goal of this thing? How big do they want it? Like, dream with me. Paint the vision with me. Don't hold back with me. Paint the biggest, audacious, most exciting outcome you could possibly paint with this thing. And then when they do, you need to see their business as that outcome, not as the small startup, not as the the beginning business, not as the the little seed that's losing money every single month. The worst thing you can ever say to somebody is, oh, that little thing you do, or oh, that cute business, or oh, that side hustle, right? That's the worst thing you can ever say to somebody. And when you say those things, it's because you're viewing their business as it is today. Maybe they just planted the seed. Instead of sitting down, asking what the grand vision is, and then always viewing their business as that grand vision so that the two of you can get there together, it takes a team. Even if you're not involved in their business, it takes a team to get to that final grand vision. And it's worth it. 
it's absolutely yeah. worth it. My gosh, that's so good. And so true. It's, you know, I've been on my own journey over the past couple of years, and especially when it comes to investments, right? And my husband's a very successful businessman who works in a, a corporation. And it's funny, to your point, one of my first really big investments and one of my first big masterminds, he was like, that's like a car. Like, what are you doing with that money? And some of the best advice, right or wrong, you may or may not agree with this, but my uncle, who's also, he's an entrepreneur and he has his own financial services business. But he said, you know, there's personal finance and there's business finance. And he said, it's kind of silly that you're even consulting your husband on what you're investing in your business. Not to disrespect him, but he doesn't come to you and ask about his investments in his corporation because you have absolutely no wherewithal to give two cents on where that investment is going and what the ROI is on it, right? And he was That's like, as long great. as you're contributing to the household based off the financial plan and agreement that you guys made, your financial decisions in your business, unless he's your CFO, you know, like stick to it, right? And that was That's some of the powerful. best advice I got. Yeah. It's a yeah. great boundary to draw. It really is. And I, I had that moment too, by the way. I remember Lori's first big investment when she was growing her personal branch came to me and she wanted to spend $25,000. And this was probably, I don't know, 11 years ago or something like that. So it was a, a ton of money. Right. And she didn't start with like a $500 thing. She didn't start with like a thousand. She started with a $25,000 right. right. thing. <laughs> When she came to me, she was so convinced that she was doing this and needed to do it. I knew she wasn't asking me. She was just telling me and hoping for my blessing, right? Right. And man, when she said the number, it took the wind out of my, my sails a little bit at first because <laughs> we weren't used to that yet. But she went on to go to that. It was a Jack Canfield train the trainer. She That's went awesome. on to, to go to that. And that thing is what created her bliss project. It's what launched her book. It's what did all of these things that each one individually turned into these multi-million dollar projects. Right. I'm telling you, invest in the shortcuts. And if you're the partner, be open and trusting that your yes. partner's going to invest in the right shortcuts. Because even if it's a bad investment, even if it's a bad class, even if it's a bad mastermind, even if it's a bad anything, there's so much gold to still be mined out of that situation. Yes. So as long as you have a partner that you can trust will go find the gold, then by all means, full speed ahead and encourage them to make these investments. Yes. Such a good discussion. We could like go on a rabbit hole around that, but we won't. So good. Okay. One more question about kind of the corporate life. And then I want to jump into your zone of genius. But I wanted to ask you from your perspective, you know, sometimes people trash corporate. They're like, gosh, I'm so glad I'm out. Like, you know, I'll never go back. I mean, I'm like the burnout to all out, right? The corporate dropout. But admittedly, I wouldn't be where I am today without the skills I picked up in corporate. As a matter of fact, I was writing interview questions this afternoon and it was like muscle memory of all the interviews I've ever done, right? Of what I'm going to do to have an awesome interview over the next two days. From your perspective and your experience in banking and just all the things from corporate, what are some of the key things you, you're grateful for that you've brought forward and where you are today? You know, I love corporate. I hate when people bash corporate or say, oh, you got to you know, be an entrepreneur. You're not going to succeed. There's different personality types yes. that only belong in one direction or another. And you have to honor that personality type. Mm -hmm. And if you're an entrepreneur of the business, if you're going to kind of trash or poo-poo everybody that, you know, is fulfilled just having a job or a career, you're going to have no one to work for you. Think about that for a moment. <laughs> so I can't stand when people trash one side of the fence or the other. Right. You need both sides of the fence to have any kind of viable company. Right. So when I was in corporate, I'm going to go 
all the way back prior to corporate. You'll like this. I was 20, oh gosh, 21 years old. And I had just been kicked out of college. And I was like excited because I just wanted to be out in the economy. My parents were devastated. Like your life is over. What'd you do? And I went and I got a job at a car dealership because I love cars, right? 21 year old guy loves cars. It's logical. And at that dealership, I learned two things. I learned sales Mm. and I learned leadership. Mm -hmm. And if you can learn those two skill sets, you can go on to write your ticket, whether it is staying in corporate or whether it is being an entrepreneur. Those are are the two most important skill sets that you can possibly learn is sales and leadership. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, you know, I went on to parlay those into understanding remote management, understanding hiring, understanding, you know, uh, adult learning models, like all of these things over the course of 11 years that I wouldn't have learned had I not been in corporate. And those things have made the transition to our businesses that we have now so much faster, so much easier, and they're invaluable skill sets. So good. And it's so true. I see so many entrepreneurs who have phenomenal ideas, phenomenal products, but they have a really hard time getting a team behind them to really, they don't have the leadership skills to really get the product out to the market or the sales background, right? And so to this day, I believe it's sales is not slimy. Sales helps people come to the conclusion of something that they need or don't need that's going to change their life. And if you're really good at helping people come to that decision, their decision, right? You can totally change their life. But if you can't pick that skill set up, then you're not going to be able to transform as many lives going through business, right? Melissa, I would actually not only agree wholeheartedly with that, I would also add this. Sales is the opposite of an icky act. It's literally an act of love. When you care enough to interrupt somebody's normal pattern of decision making mm-hmm. and point it in a direction to help them make a decision that'll change their life for the better. Yeah. That's an act of love. Because here's what happens. When you're not comfortable with sales, it'd be much easier to just quickly get out of the situation. It'd be much easier to just avoid it. Oh, you don't want to? Okay, that's okay. I'm, you know, no problem. You don't need it. Right. That's protecting your ego. That's not stepping up to the plate to interrupt their pattern of decision-making to change their life for the better. That's protecting your ego saying, oh, I don't want this awkward exchange, so I'm just going to let them go right away. Right. Sales really comes down to, do you care enough about other human beings Mm -hmm. to set the awkwardness aside, to set your ego aside, and to go all in on interrupting their pattern of poor decision-making and help them make a decision that they wouldn't have made on their own? Oh my gosh, mic drops. So true. So true. And so good. Okay. So enough about the past. Let's talk about your zone of genius today. I mean, you do so many things so well, but I want to start with masterminds because I have renewed in your program for the second year. And it's funny, the last two years, Jake has asked what I've invested in anything. He's just like, you go, baby. (laughs) But you create masterful masterminds. As a matter of fact, right before you and I hopped on, I just sent a little note of gratitude to our mastermind thread. And there's, you know, those who are watching live, it's a laundry list of gratitude for so many people in the group and everything they've done to support me literally in the last 60 days. And you curated that. You are highly selective and you have a vision for 
how the group comes together. I mean, you're an incredible mentor and there's huge value in that, but there is exponential value in the community that you curate and kind of the foundations of kicking off the expectation of that collaboration for the year, right? And so I know a lot of my listeners are aspiring to launch their own masterminds and would love to just kind of dive into, from your perspective, just a couple of bullet points on what it takes to create a powerful, impactful mastermind. Well, I'm so glad you you asked this because the truth of the matter is it's not I, it's not whoever the mastermind leader is that adds all the value, it's the other people. And so if you're going to create this container, it's your responsibility as someone who leads masterminds to make sure that the individuals that you are inviting into this mastermind, that you're allowing into this mastermind, are perfect fits. Got to make sure that they are people who can bring value to the other people who are already in it. You've got a real responsibility to make sure that they're a, a cultural fit for the culture of your mastermind. because. The value comes from the exchange that you guys do with each other. The value comes from, you know, that one outside perspective looking in on your business that you wouldn't have had that one of your peers shared with you. The value comes from learning from somebody else's mistake who has already, you know, tried X, Y, and Z that you're about to try and say, oh boy, X and Y do not work. Definitely go with Z. That's where the value comes from. So the most important thing you can do if you're going to curate masterminds is be just vigilant mm-hmm. about getting the right people in there. It is not worth taking somebody's money, mm-hmm. even if it's filling slowly, even if you haven't met your goals of how many people you want. It is not worth the money mm-hmm. to ruin everybody else's experience because you got to play the long game. You know, yeah. Melissa, you mentioned you've been back a couple of years in a row. This is the seventh year we're going into doing this. There's been some people that have been in there every single year since yes. the beginning. Because I've always been focused on the long game and I'm not willing to you know, sacrifice something this year, or I should say I'm not willing to sacrifice you know, the next year and year after that and year after that, just to get somebody in who may not be a good fit this year. Mm, so good. And I mean, such a testament. I remember calling you. I was in Arizona. I was at the Phoenician. Thank you for the recommendation, Lori. And I had just been on a call with someone who had just enrolled in my mastermind. And she had some questions about her husband enrolling in yours. And these are people who, you know, have deep pockets, they'll invest, but he didn't have a business yet. He just had an idea. And I remember contacting you and being like, I have this guy, he's really interested. And you were like, thank you so much for the lead, but he wouldn't fit fit the bill for the group. Maybe take him to Fast Foundations, you know, let's get him started, you know, on grassroots getting started. And I just think that speaks to your authenticity and just your values and how you operate, right? And just thinking of the end value for the community and not just the bottom line to the business. Oh, so that that's means the huge. world. Thank you. In kind of dovetailing on masterminds, live events. So you talked about you and Lori have notoriously had wild success along with Nick with massive live events. And I know that you helped me this past year. I hosted my very first live event and we sold out our tickets. And you really helped me with the entire strategy. I mean, you kind of held my hand from, you know, launching it to filling it to day of and pitching at the event. I mean, we sold out at the event, everything that we wanted to sell from stage, right? So let's talk about live events for a minute. And I know that's like a whole topic we could go down in a rabbit hole, but what are just some key things for folks in our space to think about when they're launching their very first 
live event to make it a wild success? Well, this is no different than the mastermind question, really, because all of these are just containers. Mm -hmm. These are containers that you build to the best of your ability so that those who invest in these containers will get real needle-moving change. So you have to come at it from that approach. And you really got to make sure you don't come at it from a place of ego, right? Like maybe it's your first event and, and you want to have this big 500 or thousand person event and you think it's going to be easy to fill. I'm telling you, it's always going to be way more difficult to fill than you expect, no matter who you are. One of the mistakes I see people make when they put an event together is they think that the speakers they hire will sell the tickets. Meaning they think if they go out and they get this person to speak and that person to speak, that the tickets are going to come flooding in and that those big names are going to sell tickets and attract mm -hmm. people. But every single time I watch it backfire because although it's exciting to go see big name speakers and although they add really good value, the truth is people come because of your sales copy. People come because of your brand promise. People come because of you. Yes. And your pattern of delivering every single time in your other products. So let's say you have a course that if you over deliver in that course, they're likely to come to your event. If you've written a book, if you over deliver in that book, they're more likely to come to your event. So back to playing that long game, you've got to over deliver in every last thing you ever do with every single customer you ever have. That's how you fill an event because they'll recognize your pattern of always making sure that the needle is going to move for them. Mm. I think the other thing I would, I'd point out too is I see people all the time spend so much money. Events can become unprofitable real quick. I mean, yeah. real quick. Yeah. I watch them spend so much money on things that don't actually move the needle for the attendee. They might right. be exciting. They might be beautiful. They might be shiny, right? An right. extra good backdrop, an extra good stage, extra good activations all over. Right. You know, all those things. And while those are kind of fun, a lot of times, back to ego, it's coming from you wanting to have the best looking event instead of coming from a place of you wanting to have an event that changes lives. It's interesting. My wife spoke at Brendan Bouchard's event recently, and I think it was about a thousand people in there or so. And if you've ever gone to any of his events, Everything he does is so first class. But when I say first class, I don't mean shiny activations. I don't mean huge, fancy stages. I don't mean any of that. I mean first class in the way his people treat the attendees. First class in the information that he teaches. First class in the flow of the event and, and that everyone's comfortable in the, in the right type of seating. First class in those things that actually matter. Yeah. First class in the speakers that he chooses. Yeah. Not... First class, having the fanciest backdrop or angles. Now, this is Brendan. Brendan can afford any stages, any shiny objects he wants in the world. Trust me. Mm -hmm. But he goes with just enough to provide change in the individuals instead of going with what he thinks is going to look extra shiny or look better on pictures. That right there, learning from the best of the best, yeah. that is what you want to mimic. So good. So you'll appreciate this. Maybe your ears are on fire. We were just on a, a live event call with my team last week and they were talking about swag bags and they had all these ideas and all this stuff they were going to put in the bag. And we started running all the numbers. I was like, guys, here's the deal. I renewed in Chris Harder's mastermind. I'm not sure that I ever got a swag bag. It was the value and the impact of the event and the experience, right? And this is for our mastermind coming up in February. I'm like, 
We don't need to overcompensate with a bunch of crap in a bag. Nope. <laughs> nope. You're there to deliver change. Listen, I don't care if this is a $99 ticket fitness event or a $100,000 you know, business mastermind. Everything in between. You are only there to deliver change to your customer. That's they are right giving there. up their time. They're stepping away from their families. Many times they're traveling. They're stepping away from their businesses and they are trusting you, trusting you that if they give you X number of dollars and their time and their energy, that you are going to deliver change. They're not spending the money because they hope to get a bunch of kind bars in the swag bag. <laughs> get some dope bass headphones when they walk in. They're not hyper for any of that. They can buy that stuff on their own. Right. Oh Pretty my God. So to, good. To absolutely change their life. So good. So good. Okay. Transitioning to where you're headed next. I want to talk about business partnerships and getting uncomfortable. I, I know this past year or two, you ventured into the tech space and doing something totally new. Uh, Way outside my wheelhouse. Yeah. Can we talk about that a little bit? Oh, absolutely. For sure. So I'm building a peer-to-peer lending app. And what I mean by that is it's a two-sided marketplace. People that have a need when they're in a financial jam below $2,500 and people that have the ability to lend them that money and slowly get paid back with a little bit of profit. In other words, your neighbor is helping you out, so to speak. Now, without going into the, all the intricacies of the app, I can tell you exactly where it came from and why it was so important to me to build. When you got a brand around you know, personal finance and generosity, you tend to invite a lot of unsolicited uh, people asking for money in your DMs. Mm-hmm. And so I get, I don't know if I just had to venture a guess, maybe 50 to 100 people a month that say, oh, wow. hey, you know, here's this tragedy, could I have money? Here's that tragedy, could I have money? And you know, generosity is literally the centerpiece of my, uh, my constitution. But I made a policy a long time ago that I was going to be generous in ways where I could validate where the money is going and not answer any of these DMs because you don't know what's true and what's not true. So despite having that personal policy, sure enough, a couple of years ago, I get this DM and and it's a landscaper. And he says, hey, Chris, uh, I listened to your show. Very grateful for it. I'm a landscaper and I'm two months behind on my truck payments. If I don't get $680 to get current, then not only am I going to lose my business, but I've got two guys that work for me and they're going to lose their jobs is there any chance you'd lend me the $680? Now, I have no other way, and and sometimes we're reluctant to say it this way, but I'm just going to say it. I have no other way to say why I answered that DM, even opened it, other than it was like a physical feeling, like a beam of light through my head from God. And I'm not kidding. I know some cheesy or not. I have no other way to describe this. Yeah. Open this DM and I answer it and I say, hey, stranger, uh, yes. I will PayPal you the $680. It is not a loan, but do me a favor. Take this moment, do something with it, and put yourself in a position to pay this forward to somebody else one day. I believe in you. Mm-hmm. Now, I thought I'd never hear from this guy again. PayPal'd him the $680 and thought I'd never hear from him again. A couple months later, I get an unsolicited message back from him. And he says, hey, Chris, I want to let you know what you did for me that day. I took the money. I got current on the truck. But... A step further, when you said, don't waste this opportunity, put yourself in position to do this for somebody else at some other point. He said, that lit a fire in me. And I have gone out and gone absolutely crazy since 
getting as many landscape jobs as I can to the point where I'm now buying a second truck and I'm hiring two more guys. And Melissa, I get goosebumps every time I tell this story. Are you kidding me? $680 was all the difference between this guy going out of business and two guys losing their job or him now all of a sudden growing his business and adding more $680. It was the barrier to that. So that was the seed that moment when he shared that back with me that I just started thinking, man, where do these people go? Where do they get out of a jam in a moment when they have it? You know, my wife grew up poor trading the same hundred dollars among her family, as she tells it, her entire childhood. Hey, you got the hundred bucks. Hey, you got the hundred bucks. And payday loan stores are predatory and gig economy workers and solopreneurs, they don't have that pay stubs to go to a payday loan store. So where did they go? Yeah. And that's where this two-sided marketplace came from. Now here's, that's why it's important to me. Here's the downside. I hate tech. I, turning on the computer is a challenge for me. Ask anybody around me. You know, you've been around me enough. I'm the same it is way. a disaster. My mind doesn't work that way. My mind, I'm very much the visionary and very much not the integrator. Mm-hmm. So I knew to bring this thing to life, it wasn't going to be just me. Mm-hmm. And I went to a friend of mine, Matt, who ironically, we met in a mastermind a few years prior to that. We met in a a different mastermind. I met Matt and we became dear friends and Matt was in tech and Matt just so happened to be selling his tech company at this time, wrapping up the sale of a great big multi nine figure sale. Right. And when his competitor bought his company, he said, I don't need your team, Matt. So Matt being the good guy, he is went to his team and said, Hey guys, thank you for getting us across the finish line. This is truly life-changing. They are not going to retain your services, so I am going to pay you for the next two years your salaries, whether you want to lay on the couch, you've earned it, whether you want to get a job and double dip, you've earned it, or if, heaven forbid, somebody comes along with a project that we might love because we know we like working together. And here comes me. Hey, Matt, I got a project, buddy. You got to help me with this thing. This means the world to me. Like We're going to change We're going to take the shame and the fear out of people's tough financial situations forever if we can make this work. So he and his team, and I mean his whole team, like I have everything turnkey, Melissa. We have been able to just hit the ground running building this thing. And it's back to when I was telling the story, it's almost as if it's divine. It's been so simple. And it's just going to be absolutely massive and and change the world forever. That's so incredible. And I just love the mission. And like, the story behind it. When is it launching? This summer? This coming summer? We'll do beta uh, yeah. late summer, early fall. This is a okay. big bill. Like, you know, there's little apps, and there's medium apps. This is like like PayPal Venmo big, right? Yeah. So yeah. we've already been working on it for a year. We will do beta with a large group, thousands of people in late summer, early fall. And then we'll open up to the world in the beginning of 2024, as long as all goes well. That's amazing. Now, are you looking for any investors at all? Yeah, we will. So we're going to do a strategic fundraise. But given Matt's background, his financial win, and, and given that Lori and I have a dollar or two, uh, we don't need to do a fundraise. We've self-funded it up to this point for the past year. Incredible. But we, what we want, and this is a great lesson for people who want to get their idea off the ground, whether you have to raise money or not, this is a very smart way to go about it. You want to do strategic fundraises mm-hmm. with people that have either the skill sets or the audience for the product that you are building. 
And the reason why you want to do that is when they have their real skin in the game as an investor, now they're way more likely to share your product with their customers, ask their customers to use it, have a pride of ownership, and make the ground swell that much easier for you upon launch. So we are talking to some, I don't want to name drop, but just incredible human beings, world changers that want to be investors in this thing so that we can get it out there as soon as humanly possible to as many people out of the gates. So exciting. I'm cheering you on and I just can't wait to see it all come to fruition. Okay. So last question, speaking of investors and investing. Investing advice, as these newer entrepreneurs, me included, you start to get these windfalls of cash and you want your money to work harder for you than you work for your money. And, you know, there's the traditional 401ks, but I'm curious from your perspective, investing tips to get started. I know that I've been approached many times to invest in certain startups and opportunities in real estate. And I'm kind of chewing at the bit to like start investing because I, I want this money to start to multiply, but I'm also really nervous about taking that first step. So do you have any advice to folks who are newer in the investing space, but want to get started? I really do. The first place, I know you're asking about like financial investments, all that, but I cannot stress this enough. The first place you invest is in yourself. And I mean heavily. Here's why. You are investing in making yourself this lean, mean, income-producing machine so that then when this machine, aka you, is just kicking off revenue, kicking off income, you can invest that much more heavily to get to your goals as opposed to skipping the part where you invest in yourself and trying to get there with a smaller shovel, trying to do the work with a smaller shovel. So I am so passionate about people erroring on the side of just investing as much as they possibly can in themselves first and foremost. That's the first step. Yeah. Second and simultaneous step is never waste free money. So if you've got a 401k with a match or something like that, let's say they'll match 3%. At a minimum, make sure you're doing that match. Because if you give 3% and they match that 3%, that's already a 100% return on your money. More importantly, the one thing I wish I would have done better in life, I wish I would have understood the power of compounding when I was much younger. You know, there's something called the rule of 72s. And it basically says this, take the return that you're getting on your investment, whatever that percentage is, let's say 10%, divide it into 72. And whatever that number is, that's how many years it takes for your money to double. So let let me blow your mind a minute. If you took, I'm just going to use really simple math. If you took a hundred grand, and you're getting 10% on it, and you divide 10% into 72, that means every 7.2 years, it'll double. So your 100 becomes 207 years, but then it becomes 414 years. Mm. Then it becomes 800,000 at the 21-year mark. Then it becomes 1.6 million at the 28-year mark. Then it becomes 3.2 million at the 35-year mark, and so on and so on, right? Like this exponential growth is insane. Well, There's no way to game that system other than good old-fashioned time. Now, if you're young and you're hearing this, please become passionate about taking advantage of compounding interest. If you are older when you hear this, it is not too late. It'll still work in your favor. There's a lot of catch-up provisions that you can do. 
just feeling like it's too late for you to, to get the huge wins at 35 years and 45 years. It's okay if you're going to miss out on that, but it doesn't mean you don't play the game. It doesn't mean you don't participate. So that's that second level. Never miss free money and never miss the opportunity for, for compounding interest. Then the third level is make sure that you are, let's just say, doing a few of the riskier things, whether it's income-producing properties or whether it's investments that kick off monthly or quarterly dividends. Find the investments that'll create passive income. I'm a huge fan of multiple streams of income, and there's really just two ways you can get multiple streams of income. You can create them, like you have your job or you have your side hustle, or you can invest to get them. Mm -hmm. And I recommend a little bit of both. Your rule of thumb that you should be working towards is this. You should be building your life, right? Building your budget and creating as many income sources as you can so that if any one of your income sources went away today, you would not have to change your lifestyle tomorrow. Let that sink in a minute mm -hmm. because this is not what happened to us when we had to lose everything and start over right. way back during the last recession. We were the opposite of this. Right. I lost my income source and we had to start over. So even if this sounds unrealistic to you right now, as you hear this, I'm urging you become passionate about this goal. Whether you have to cut back a little bit on your lifestyle for a while and ramp up a little bit on some extra income sources, become passionate about getting to this point in life as fast as you can, where if any one of your income sources, and I mean even your biggest one, went away today, you would not have to change a single thing about your lifestyle tomorrow. Then after that, you can get into all the fun, exotic stuff that you hear about. There, don't go for the shortcuts right away. Don't go for the home runs. Make sure you're building those fundamental building blocks first. So good. Such good advice. Okay. This is a simple final question. And that is advice to your younger self, knowing what you know now about entrepreneurship and business. When you first stepped out, if you could look back at yourself and give yourself any advice, what would it be? Lots of it. Go bigger, faster, make mistakes quicker. You've got so much time to try again. Failing isn't failing. It's just feedback. I know you hear that line. You think, oh, that's stupid. I've heard that before. But no, it's really, really true. I would go back to my younger self and I'd say, and not having money to start your ideas is not an excuse because there's so much money in the world that wants to invest in good ideas. It would blow your mind, right? So that's not an excuse. Raise some capital, swing for the fences. If you fail, do it again. And best of all, especially for my younger self, I'd remind myself that ego is your greatest overhead. Like nothing... Mm -hmm nothing, Melissa, will cost you more than your ego. Not a bad investment, not a failed company, none of that, not a scam. Nothing will cost you more than your ego. Your ego causes you to speak up when you shouldn't and maybe you burn a bridge. It also causes you to not speak up when you should, right? Maybe you, you don't ask for what you need. An ego will, will burn bridges. It'll cost you relationships. It'll make people not want to work with you. Ego will always, no matter what, be your greatest overhead. Mm, so good. So good. This is this has been amazing. Thank you so much for making the time for this interview today. It's been so good. Chris, where can people find you? Like, where do you hang out? And so what do you have going on right now? Instagram is the best place to find me. I've made a commitment to try and answer every single business question that comes in there. It takes me a little while sometimes, but I get there. 
But more importantly, every single morning that I wake up, I text out a positive money mantra and or a positive business perspective. I've been doing this for a little bit more than a year now. So when I wake up, I text thousands, thousands and thousands of people for free. Like there's no no fee, right? I just do it. In fact, it costs me thousands of dollars a month because community is so expensive. But nonetheless, I text everybody when I wake up, thousands of you, a positive money mantra or a positive business perspective. So before your feet hit the ground, you can see the day through an abundant set of lenses. And I'm a firm believer that if you can control your morning, then you can control your day. And if you can control your day, you can control your outcomes. So if you want me to text you, I'll throw you on the list. Just text me the word daily to 310-421-0416. Again, text me the word daily to 310-421-0416. I'll throw you on the list and I'll start tomorrow with, with a text to you. Awesome. I'm on your list. I get your messages every day and I love them. And we'll make sure we put it in the show notes too. So everybody gets it. It's one of my favorite things to do because then I, after I send it out, I'll go back and I'll read all the responses. That's the best is to see the hundreds of responses of people like, I needed this today or, you know, this or that, or I shared this with my, my wife or my husband. That's the best part. Oh, I love that. You're such a good human, Chris. I'm so glad our, our paths have crossed and we've got another year together in the mastermind. And I just thank you so much for your willingness to give your knowledge, share your knowledge, and just inspire so many people. Well, Melissa, thank you for that. That means the world. But I cannot skip over this chance to say everyone who invests their time learning from you, everyone who invests in one of your products, everyone who invests just being in your proximity, that's one of the best investments that they can make. You are the real deal. You know, I get to see behind the curtain of everything you're doing on your good days and your bad days. Mm -hmm. You genuinely care about every single person that wants a better business life and or personal life. You genuinely care and people can't go wrong by, by hitching their wagons to you. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Well, this has been awesome. Literally my pleasure. Loved it. Awesome. Thanks guys so much for listening in on today's podcast episode. I can't wait for you to see my upcoming guest in the next episode. You are going to love this keynote speaker. Hey, here's the deal. If you liked this, please subscribe and leave a review. And you want the latest online business growth strategies and exclusive LinkedIn pro tips sent straight to your phone? Text the word updates to 1-833-310-7171. Again, text the word updates to 1-833-310-7171. Can't wait to see you guys. Come find me over on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, wherever you like to hang. I cannot wait to hear how you are enjoying and applying what you're learning. You guys reach out to me over on social because I love hearing what's resonating with you. When you reach out to me and you send me those personal DMs, they really do impact the content I continue to bring forward to you. So again, come find me, Melissa underscore Hinault over on Instagram, Melissa Hinault over on LinkedIn and Facebook. Can't wait to see you guys over there.